Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Argos podcast. This week, we are joined by executive chef at restaurant interlude, Jean Delport. Originally from South Africa, the chef recently retained his Michelin star status and has his eyes on more. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me on your show. Now, you recently retained your Michelin star. Congratulations, by the way. I'm guessing that is a pretty special moment for yourself and the team at Restaurant Interlude. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've always worked towards. It's something that we we hold ourselves to. So I think to kind of keep on staying at that level and kind of pushing further on is where we, where we want to go. So yeah, it's always a special moment when it comes. It's a bit nerve wracking every year, but um, got a strong team and they, they kind of pulled me through every year. So it's quite good. And for those who don't know much about it or who haven't heard of Restaurant Interlude, can you just explain a little bit about the food, the setting and the place itself? Yeah, so um, it's pretty unique upon to itself. We're situated on Leonardsley Gardens, which is um, a 240-acre wooden garden, historic, dating back to the 1800s. We're based inside the Italian mansion house on the estate. So we're a small restaurant. We do nine tables in the evening, and we do blind tasting menus. So we kind of take you on a journey through the estate. So between the 18 or 20-odd courses that we that we do on the evening, depending on seasonality, um, there's something from every course from the estate. So whether we forage that grow in it from our bees our chickens uh, we have occasional pigs the deer running around i have a whole garden team that kind of cultivate things for us we go back and preserve and we pretty much just want to use our landscape to kind of evolve and make a menu and a journey of leonardsley and then i kind of combine that with my south african heritage um, classic english cooking uh, just kind of create our own little something i would like to go out and enjoy something a bit more playful not so serious but still fine dining so something a bit more fun now you mentioned you're originally from south africa did you grow up in the kitchen and in cooking as a child? It was my mom, yes. My mom had quite a bad back when I was growing up. So I kind of did, a, I took a lot of the responsibility in the kitchen when coming home from school and just making dinner for the family and messing around. And I think it kind of sparked a little bit because if I can't get something right, it really annoys me. So I kind of work at it until I get it there. And not knowing anything about food growing up kind of made me kind of want to just do it more and more. And it kind of lighted the fire. And then when I was about 16, I kind of just decided straight after school, I think that's it. I'm going to get into it and then wait for school to be done and then jumped in. What are your earliest memories of cooking as a child or when you were younger? Earliest memories of food itself, I guess. I kind of grew up in a farming kind of background. So I'd always, every holiday, and as much as we could, we'd always get out. So we had a family farm and things. Seeing the produce being grown was always quite key. So harvesting like peas, for instance, and sitting in the actual middle of nowhere, uh, just eating fresh peas off of the, the vine is just something completely different that's always stuck with me since I was probably about seven or eight years old. And then, yeah, I'm obviously in South Africa, it's a bit different because it's um, a lot more outdoor based as opposed to here. So every weekend we'd be outside cooking, doing different things with my family. And it kind of, I think from there, it's just like my, my happy food memories. And then as I grow older, you kind of get into what you really enjoy. And then I suppose eating up becomes a bigger part of it. I believe you went to chef school just outside of Cape Town. Was that the proper start to your journey as a chef? Yeah, I think that was when it kind of all realization kind of sets in that this isn't maybe what initially you think it is. So it's a bit different to what they do in the UK. So I think I finished school when I was 18 and then it was like a two and a half year course that I did it did in Cape Town. And that was the proper food journey. That kind of set me to say, well, what you know about food is actually nothing. And we're pretty much starting from scratch and this is now exactly what you need to get into. Obviously not having that real food background when I was growing up, which I thought I did, but I really didn't, kind of set you like, so it's a complete reset and mind change. So it was quite fun. But yeah, I think it's one of those things that when you when you get to a certain age, you realize actually what you think you know, you don't know, and you kind of turn it around. 
that's kind of where the real food journey started, I suppose, when I was about 19. And am I right in thinking you worked in Ireland before moving to Sussex as well? Yeah, so I kind of just wanted to break the mold and get out of the way from, I'm very much a home person. I love my family a lot, so it's quite difficult for me to be away from them. So I got to an age and I was like, okay, I just need to break the mold, get away to see what it's all about outside of home. So yeah, I was I went down to the south, um, to Kerry. I did a, about a year down there, just kind of trying to learn a bit more and something different because it's completely opposite to what we would have back in Cape Town. That was probably one of the one of the best years that we had. Irish people are real good fun to be around. So, why of all places did you choose Sussex? And can you just sort of take me through how it came about opening the restaurant and and you moving to Sussex? I think Sussex itself wasn't necessarily the big thing. It kind of everything kind of fell in place in Sussex. So it wasn't like we decided we okay we're going to do it in Sussex now. Let's find a location. It's more like I was working for the same owners in in Cape Town, and we had discussed for a long time that I wanted to come across. Um, I wanted to really open a restaurant in the UK and try our hand at cooking around here. And I, I had a different style of food that I wanted to do. I really wanted to do long tasting menus using the land being able to use as much fresh produce, local produce as we could. And where I was situated in Cape Town, I just couldn't do it at that point. The owners were looking for properties in the UK to kind of expand and get into. And then Leonard's Lee had opened up, so they kind of stumbled across it one day, uh, driving past and got kind of curious to see what was over the fence. And they jumped over one day and just had a look around and found this amazing vast land that just kind of left to wreck and ruin for like 10 years. And all the, obviously, imagination starts running wild. Penny got on the phone and said like, oh, We've, I think we found the perfect place for what you want to do. And I think kind of it's almost like one of those moments where the stars align. You just you can kind of see how it's going to work. It's obviously taken quite a while to get there. The restoration project, not just the house itself, but the whole of the grounds was like really bad off. So it took us about two years to kind of get that ball rolling and get us across. In a way, we're very lucky because I think Sussex is one of the most beautiful places in the UK. I don't, I never wanted to live in like in a big city or in a big town or anything like that. I wanted to be more country. It's kind of what I've always lived in and really enjoyed. I think we got lucky. We kind of fell with a bum in the butter with that one. It's a perfect land, a backspace for us for what we want to do. Is the produce good? Is it better than you expected? You don't realise what you have until you leave sometimes as well. So I think in Cape Town, uh, very quick to write off what we have at home. There is a lot of amazing produce back home. So I'd say it's all much of a muchness. We, it's all just completely different. So it's like a whole new variety of things that I could get on this side. What you do have here is a selection of things where South Africa, okay, I've got maybe two or three suppliers doing, say, a cheese, for instance, where here I've got an abundance of people that I could actually have a lovely choice from um, and their competition from each other. And everybody works really well together. You can get some amazing produce. It's just trying to find it. Sometimes it's not always that easy, especially for small scale. Obviously, we're just a small restaurant. So, but yeah, I think there is some most amazing stuff. Summer and spring is the is my favorite time of the year because there's just so much to choose. I can't even use it all. Before I moved, I expected um, like you kind of watch all these shows on TV and all these best things coming in. And I would say it's not. I mean, it's not far off from from what I imagine at all. You did mention it earlier a little bit, but how much of the produce comes from the grounds at the restaurant itself? Um, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of our project over the next, or it always has been since we started and for like the next five years, just to try and get more and more from the estate and just try and keep it as close to home as possible. Um, so like I said, every dish has at least one element from the gardens on it, um, whether we've uh, preserved it in some sort of way or we've taken something and enhanced it. Percentage wise, I can't give it to you because it, it changes all the time and changes on seasonality. In summer, it, there's a big, I suppose, a big percentage, but 
we don't necessarily grow vegetables on this date. I kind of use the wild woodlands as the backdrop for more essence and flavors and things like that. But I would say that the gardens kind of really pushes us on the menu itself and it kind of shows us the direction of the menu like 100%. So that's kind of dictates exactly what we do to an extent as well. Am I right in thinking your wife also helps run the restaurant? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do it without her. She's my front of house and she kind of does my my everything. So it's like... Um, I just know that everything's in safe hands when I'm when I'm when I can't see what's going on in front. And she does an amazing job with the whole front, the wine program, and everything. Like that. So it's kind of a team effort always. Were the locals quick to take the idea of sort of fine dining, Michelin star level establishment on their doorstep? Yeah, I mean, I think we're still relatively unknown, which is which is the big thing. And we what three three and a half years into it now, and we still get loads of people from just around the corner from us just saying, "Oh, we never knew you were here. You never knew you were here." So there's been a great, yeah. I think we we get loads of return. I mean, the guests. I mean, for our style of restaurant, we wouldn't expect someone to come every month or or so, but we do. And um, I think the locals they always seem to love it. Uh, we've also just got the addition of the rooms now with the restaurant, which is great for us. So we can kind of pull people from further apart. We had nothing but great feedback from the locals. And the restaurant won its first Michelin star in 2019. Was that a dream come true for you? Yeah, I mean, I want to be cooking for accolades and things like that. But I mean, it's something that I've always dreamt of when I was a kid. It was one of the goals <clears throat> moving to the UK that uh, there's a possibility of, of, of working and then getting onto the Michelin, Michelin Guide system. It's something that's not recognized in South Africa. So, I mean, I had to kind of either make a move to try and do it. It is something for, it's like, I suppose it's for myself. It was like a, a nice, like, okay, we can do it. And we're on the stage now. So for me, it was like, a, it was a massive dream come true for me. Something that I've always, like I said, I was dreaming of all the time, but it's difficult to kind of growing up and not always being in the right position and then coming here and, and getting that was amazing. And I've, I've been, I had a strong team from South Africa as well. It was all working for it. And I think yeah, it was like almost touching the untouchable for us. So it was really, really fun. Am I right in thinking that you are the second South African chef after Jan Hendrik to achieve that? Yeah, I believe so. So Jan got his about three or four years before us. I think he's got his restaurant in Nice. Again, it's another amazing place. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. We've got so many talented chefs in South Africa, but we'd easily be able to get many stars there, but it's just not recognized yet. And I'm sure they'll get there. And once the demand has, has risen enough, but it's one of those things you kind of had to move out and push through to get there. So, How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Just because you must be one of the younger chefs to achieve sort of Michelin star level, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always these crazy stats around the world, but I mean, it's nothing, I don't, it's nothing groundbreaking. I'm 33 at the moment. Uh, when we won the star, I was 30. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's relatively young, but like I said, we, we were ready. We, we were doing something that we kind of knew would work. So for us, it was cooking something that we enjoy more than, more than winning the star. And your cooking seems to stem from kind of traditional French, old British traditions. How much of a South African influence is there at the restaurant? I was always a bit scared to kind of go full on South African to an extent. I mean, South African is a very loose term because we have so many traditions and cultures that are kind of just live in the umbrella of South Africa. So for me to just keep highlighting South Africa is maybe a bit of a, could be an insult to some people. But what I'm trying to do is kind of bring, just kind of showcase that there is a lot of flavor, a lot of cultures, a lot of different things that can kind of happen. So we started off quite slowly. We just kind of had one or two things kind of playing around, more my childhood memories. And now slowly I've kind of expanding it out a bit more to kind of give more of a little bit more of a South African experience. But I mean, I want to, I like to try and keep that balance and keep it fun, but I want to keep it that people can still pay interest, but also relate to it. I don't want to make it that it's just completely like, well, we don't know what we're eating anymore. So it'll never be that far, but it'll always just be 
I think fun, quirky bits where it makes sense. But yeah, we'll always kind of grow. It's our strong point. We know how to cook that as well, which is quite fun. And yeah, I think the next goal is to kind of highlight the more different cultures in South Africa because I've obviously come from an Afrikaans background, which has a very specific type of food. Um, I want to try and highlight the rest of South Africa, which is quite cool. And I read you use bark, sap, leaves, all, all sorts of stuff from trees and things that you find on the land. Why do that? Why is that important for you to use everything that you have it kind of came from, we have a wild woodland garden. So if I want to go and find carrots, I'm not going to find them in my gardens, for instance. So I had to kind of get a little bit more creative and kind of go beyond what the normal people would, would find in their, in, in their backyard. So we're quite lucky that we have, like I said, the gardens date back really, really far back. So there's some really amazing trees in here from around the world that have been propagated and collected. So there's some interesting things. I have a fascination with for, with birch trees, for instance. Like, So, I mean, that's like one of our most edible trees on the estate where we can eat literally the, from the root system to the sap, the, the outer bark, the inner bark, the leaves. And we do loads of stuff for that. And I think it creates a lovely story because my whole thing is I want to create a journey and a story about what you're eating and how it's come from the gardens onto your plate. And it's not necessarily something that I can do overnight. Some of these processes are taking eight, nine months to get to, and then we eventually can use them. And for us, it's a bit more rewarding. We don't want to be stuck in the kitchen all day. We want to be out there as well, having fun, enjoying what we're doing, seeing the providence, seeing where it's coming from, playing around. So yeah, I think um, trees probably like a, the bark and the sap is quite an extreme version of that, but um, it's, yeah, it's very relative and it's always on the menu. So it's quite fun. Do you keep many animals on site? Yeah, I mean, occasionally we get a couple of pigs and we kind of rear them up. Um, we kind of stopped it for a while because got everything kind of got carried away the last couple of years. Um, so we're looking at bringing that back again. I have like a small flock of hens. I think we go up to like 40 odd hens or so. And we do our own, our own eggs for the estate. Um, I do a very egg specific dish always. We, we kind of control their diet and their feed and they, pass, they obviously pasture reared. So they're out and about all day. Into, we were looking at getting some South African goats soon kind of let them graze around the estate and enjoy themselves but it's more wild i guess we've got we've got loads of deer on the estate that we kind of harvest every year we've got the wild birds and things but nothing necessarily that's been commercialized too much how was covid and lockdown for you and the restaurant i'm guessing it was quite a difficult time for you, the whole industry i mean yeah the whole industry is really uh, i mean it's it's quite fair i suppose it's documented now that everyone really struggled for us ourselves i mean it's just it was just the fear of the unknown a lot of the time we were lucky enough that we had a good good background and good backing that we could we could see it. Safety was kind of the priority for what we wanted to do. So the team was always safe. And yeah, I mean, we just had to follow the guidelines. Not much more we could do. And it made working extremely difficult because <laughs> you just didn't know what you were doing. One day you'd have to finish earlier. The next day you'd have to be closed. And then, okay, now we're back to normal. Then the masks are back and this and this. So we found what works for us. Uh, and we just pushed through for a long period of time. And then we slowly scaled up and backwards as we needed to. I mean, I had, like I said, I keep saying, but we have a good, really good core team that kind of stuck with us. So if you have a good core like that, it's easy to adapt to situations. Like I suppose all restaurant industries and hospitality, it's very resilient. So uh, we'll always bounce back from something uh, and we can always adapt to situations, which is great. Nothing's ever written in stone. How big is the team at Restaurant Interlude? Not massive at all. I mean, it's only, like I said, it's only a small restaurant. So Interlude is only a part of what we do in the house. In the kitchen, I've just recently expanded up to, uh, I've got now nine chefs, including myself. We've always been a, like a core of about six chefs. And then in the front of house, I've always got about four people working in front. I, I like to try and keep it smaller. I think it's more, for us, it's more effective and it's more dynamic. I can do things a lot quicker as well. How important is a sous chef or the other chefs in the kitchen? 
Yeah, so I got my my right hand man from South Africa. Uh, we kind of we didn't grow up together, but uh, we worked together for a long period of time. He was one of my best friends, uh, so he kind of came across, and we have the same vision and the same understanding of food, which is great. So to have him part of my team is 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 kind of the utmost of what I needed to do. So to have his support all the time is for the other that's become the job becomes really difficult because, as you say, if I have to go do things somewhere else, let it be just be in the gardens. I just know that everything is always going to be okay, you know. But the rest of the team, it's like I said, it's we're very much a family, so it's it's tricky. Um, it always hurts if someone's not feeling okay or someone's in a bad mood or something. So I'm in the kitchen every day with the guys, which is quite fun. So I kind of divulge from the question a bit, but. I think it's extremely important that I have those safe, that safety net of like a really tight team. I mean, I don't necessarily have specific roles in our kitchen. I try and keep it more generalized. Yeah, that way I expect everybody to do everything as well, which is for us, it works for us at least. And for those people who haven't been to the restaurant or seen pictures of the food, the plating and presentation is exquisite. How important is that aspect of cooking? Yeah, so when we set out for the restaurant, one of my things was I didn't want to make overly fussy, pretty food. So we kind of started off like that, but I kind of, as you adapt to your area and learn what people really want, I think they kind of, they start expecting it a little bit and we kind of had to move back towards it. So I don't want to make the food too fussy. So I don't want to make it like overworked, but um, to an extent we need to, we need to still obviously hit the tick those boxes for people because at the end of the day, it is a, it's a special occasion. People are, are paying a lot of money and hopefully coming here for a really good experience. So I think nowadays it's becoming with Instagram and social media and everything like that, it's becoming quite important. So we, we, we try our best. I mean, some of the stuff, I don't want to make it pretty on purpose and some of the stuff will we'll make it look really nice where it, where it makes sense. It's a bit of fun, but it, obviously it takes a lot longer as well. But um, I kind of wanted to focus on the gardens and flavor more than anything. Now, a lot of people think of themselves as sort of half-decent home chefs. When did that transition from regular chef to high-end happen for you? Or has that always been your thing? Yeah, I think when I was younger, what I did is I, I worked in like a variety of different places in a very short space of time just to kind of see what I enjoyed the most. And I quickly found that I, I enjoyed the fine dining sort of thing or the, the end, of, end of the spectrum. So it's just a different style of food. Everybody can cook amazing food and quite quickly and think on their feet and do different stuff. I just like the finer details of things. Um, I've got to, I find that my eye is quite keen for for small details. For me, I just find it easier to pick these things up. And I like perfecting things. I don't like to leave something that's like, okay, well, that's that. I want to work on something until I find, okay, well, now we've got a really good good system or a good plate of food or something like that. So it's just, yeah, I think it just kind of plays my personality. And I think personality is what kind of creates chefs, keeps them completely separate. So it boils down to what, what you really want, what you enjoy. I enjoy coming back every day to do this. Some people go back and enjoy doing a bigger plate or a different style of food. Who or what are your biggest cooking influences? Yeah, so I mean, I suppose you talk about Michelin and being such a dream, like that realization of sitting in that room back in 2019, and I was literally surrounded by like all my food heroes that I kind of grown up watching for about the last 10 years back from South Africa, like just online. And then the next day I was kind of with them. So a lot of my food influences from the UK, Mark Appear White when I was growing up was always one of those fascinations. It's just like a completely different world when you listen to the stories and what they used to do and how they cooked and I mean, the skills that these guys had. And obviously from there, it all kind of breaks down and you follow the different guys. Dan Barber in, in America, um, his outlook and philosophy on food and the way it's cultivated and brought to the plate is just it's another, again, another level. So you could just learn so much from people like this. I, I get passionate when I start talking about different people and kind of emotional, but I mean, for us to, to kind of be in the same area around them, for me, it's like a dream come true still. So for us still waking up four years down the line, being saying that we will be working kind of 
in the same industry as these guys and asking them. I suppose one of my more recent ones, not harping on about classic guys, but um, Gareth Ward up in Wales uh, from Unisha. He's someone that I've I think he's he's kind of changing the way that fine dining is is heading. He has a lot more fun with his food, um, but still very serious and a massive amount of flavor. So he's been a firm favorite of mine for the last five years. What are your thoughts on celebrity chefs and the kind of cooking TV shows that are around nowadays? To be fair, I don't get to watch a lot of TV, so I don't, <laughs> my comments might not be too fair. I, I, I quite enjoy watching the um, the Great British Menu. That's quite nice. But I mean, again, it's I guess it's guys from our industry that are like working in every day in the kitchen, so it's quite fun to watch. In terms of celebrities, who kind of defines a celebrity cook? I'm not quite sure. Is it someone that's successful or is it someone that's just got a really good book deal? I'm not sure anymore. So for me, it's a bit hit and miss. Once you know someone that you like, you kind of stick with them. I suppose someone like James Marsden for me is probably one of my favorites just because I know what he can do. Um, and he's a, he seems just such like a, a fun fun guy to be around and he really knows what he's doing. You know, I don't know whether you ever get a chance to go out for food yourself. I'm guessing you're very busy. But when you do, do you go for high-end restaurants or after a long day in the kitchen, do you just want everyday normal food? <laughs> Yeah, like you say, I suppose once we're kind of always working on the days that everybody's working and then when we're off, the restaurants that I kind of want to visit are normally closed. So it's kind of hit and miss. So it's a balance, I guess. I can't, I can't afford to go out eating at all these top-end restaurants all the time. So we've got to be realistic. But if I go out, I do prefer the high end, I suppose. It's just the kind of, it's what I enjoy. So we'd probably try and, and venture out more like that. Yeah, every now and then a, a, a nice basic meal is, is exactly what I want. I mean, I don't want anything fancy normally when I'm off. So yeah, it's just playing playing around and seeing what's around. When you cook at home, what's your sort of go-to dinner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is always embarrassing, but I mean, it's very basic. It's like, to be fair, it's quick stuff. It's not something that I want to, maybe occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll spend hours in the kitchen messing around and things like that, but I do that a lot at work and if I want to work on things and play around with things, it's kind of there. So at home, it's it's really like one pot wonders, pastas, whatever it might be. It's, we can get a lot of flavor and quick and I could just sit back, relax or just carry on doing whatever stuff that's falling behind at home. And at the restaurant itself, is there a big waiting list? Can people book now to come in soon? Where we are at the moment, seasonality. So like over the last couple of weeks, in end of January, beginning of Feb, it's been a bit quieter than normally it would. But yeah, I mean, normally we have an extensive waiting list on weekends. So we're normally fully booked for about two, three months in advance on the weekends. But there's always space on, on the beginning of the week or even on a Sunday evening. So at the moment, there's, there's still space around. Now for the final part of each episode, we ask guests their favourite things, places, etc. in Sussex in a segment we call Five of the Best. Is it all right if I take you through those? Yes, yeah. Bearing in mind that I um, uh, <laughs> I don't get out much, but we can try our best. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going for a coffee and a cake with a friend from out of town, where would you take them in Sussex? Recently, I suppose, oh, so what's recent nowadays, but um, after COVID and in between, everyone had to close, but... One of my favorite places is actually just in Horsham called Gwyn's Bakery. Um, it does the most amazing croissants uh, that I've ever had. Um, and he's obviously he's just he hits everything on the head. But the coffee there, just a the coffee and a croissant sitting there with a friend, it's just it's absolute luxury. And I think that's definitely one of my go-to places. Have you got a favorite shop in Sussex? Yeah, so that <laughs> favorite shop. I mean, that's quite tricky because... I suppose if you're not doing things online anymore, it gets a bit tricky. So you want to kind of go more old school. There is a, I'm trying to think what the name of it was. It's called the Milk Churn. 
um, they make a lovely charmer cheddar. They use all the milk from the estate and create um, a lovely cheese. And they've got like a, I suppose like a farm shop of sorts there. We can get local butter and cheese from them, which is absolutely amazing. And on the side, they do like a, almost like a cafe where it's just, um, you could only buy like toasted cheese sandwiches from the cheese from there, which is absolutely amazing. So it's always like a nice little outing to get there. And like right next door is my favorite beer place called Firebird Brewery. Yeah, so you can also just go up to the tasting room and just go buy all the beers that I enjoy. So it's like almost like a, a one stop for two things, which is great. Whether it's for comedy, concert, theatre, have you got a favourite venue in Sussex? So yeah, venues are quite tricky because I don't I don't really get to go out to venues because that's always on the weekends mostly. So we do a few things on our our, our own estate now, and we've got a beautiful setting on Leonard's Lee, which is great. But um, does Tully's Farm count as one? I was amazed when I went there the first time. I, the variety of stuff that they they pull off over there, such an amazing setting, it was quite fun always. And there's some serious things in between, so. If you're looking to escape the city, have you got a favourite outdoors place you like to visit? Yeah, so yeah, we, we kind of work at the countryside, so we're quite lucky. But um, I think one of my immediate pretty places around us is Chichester and Arundel side of things. And there's loads of little getaways around there that we've done before. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's just so picturesque as well, which is which is great for us. And lovely little walks and things like that. I, mean, I suppose the Ashdown Forest, again, beautiful area. But uh, I think one of my favourites is still Arundel, just with the history. And coming from Southern, we don't really have that kind of history there with castles and things like that. So it's quite fun for us. And lastly, this is a bit of a strange one for you, but whether it's for a drink or a sit-down meal, have you got a favourite pub, restaurant, bar in Sussex? Obviously, I think I know the answer to, to that, but have you got <laughs> maybe maybe your one and, a, and another, perhaps? Yeah, I was going to say, can I say my own place? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's easy. Again, that's quite tricky, but I mean, there's, there's so many guys around doing some lovely stuff around. I think Sussex isn't showcased enough. For me, should I give you one drinks place and one restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, okay. For I think for drinks, the Mesmerist, I think is out in Brighton. Been there, they've done some really cool cocktails and fun, fun jivey. I mean, I kind of racked my brain now trying to think of food areas. I don't want to give you an obvious one because I think people can find that. But I really enjoyed the chili pickle in Brighton as well. I wasn't expecting that kind of quality, which is which is absolutely amazing. And a kind of off the radar one as well was like Sushi Garden in Brighton. Again, like proper Japanese style food, which is not easy to find around here, which is really, really good. And lastly, what can people expect from yourself and the restaurant in the future? Are you eyeing a second star? Yeah, so that's why I've recently expanded the team. We're gonna we obviously we've got the addition of rooms now. It kind of really puts us in good stead now, so we can start building properly again. Yeah, so a second star is the dream. We'll start pushing hard towards that, just upping our levels. I think in some aspects we we're not far off, but um, there are other aspects that we will be working on for a long, long time to get there. So that's kind of the immediate the immediate goal. Um, how quickly we can get there, I'm not sure. So yeah, I think watch this space. I'll, hopefully, I can get there quickly. Well, that's that's everything. But thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Be sure to keep an eye out for our next episode. But until then, if you know somebody from Sussex who you think has an interesting story to tell, then let us know. You can tweet us your guest suggestions at Brighton Argus on Twitter or directly to me at Chris underscore Fuller 11 and use the hashtag The Argos Podcast. Or you can email or send us a message on Facebook. And make sure to stay up to date with all the latest news from around Sussex on our website, theargus.co.uk. Until next time. <laughs>